0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture,
1: produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us today and letting us be part of your day here at Midweek. And we hope you are well and safe what we'll be talking about today includes a look at the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. As you might expect, those uh, numbers are down. We'll talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer about that. We'll also be talking markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Rabo AgriFinance, and a planting update. This time we'll go to eastern Kansas, check in with Ken McCauley, see what the planting conditions are like in that area, how much do they have done. All that coming up on today's show. Again, thanks for being with us, and uh, please be careful, be safe. So much focus right now on the meat situation and the backup in the supply chain and what's going on at packing plants. Joining us now is Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates. Steve, thanks for joining us. What's the latest? Seems like every day we hear about, well, this plant's closing or this plant's trying to reopen. Uh, uh, Give us the latest. Well, uh, on the
2: port side, Mike, uh, you know, we're trying to get some plants uh, back up and running. Um, uh, there was uh, one restart at Monmouth, Illinois on Saturday, and they got up uh, to about 6,500, 6,700 hogs yesterday, I think, uh, as our reports. Um, there was a planned opening at Logansport, Indiana, yesterday on the Tyson plant. That did not happen. I think there's some new guidance out from CDC that's recommending a little longer uh, time period on uh, on people that have been tested positive uh, i think it went from seven to ten days so that's thrown a bit of a wrench in things uh, we're hoping to get uh logan sport waterloo iowa another tyson plant and worthington minnesota a jds plant all uh, at least started back up this week and that would help we were at about 40 percent of production of total capacity idled yesterday um Uh, That number has been as high as 44 one day last week, so at least it's going down, and if we can get those three big plants started, uh, we could eat into that number pretty quickly, but uh, it's still a very critical situation for producers on one side and for consumers on the other.
1: Well, we've got this issue now addressing the health conditions within the plant, but then there's the issue of what happens when those workers leave the plant, and that. You know that creates another risk there.
2: Well, it's it's always created a risk, and in fact, there's a number of people would argue that the bigger risk has been when when uh, workers left the plant. Um, you know, in in many cases, uh, there's carpooling that goes on, as we would know we would normally expect. Uh, that that's a, that's an issue. Um, many of these workers, of course, are from live in immigrant communities, and they tend to 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 live together in the same areas and you know that's nothing unusual Mike if you and I were working in another country we'd probably live in the same area Um so um, uh, it's just the way things are and because of that interaction uh, there's a lot of opportunities to swap this virus around so it doesn't necessarily mean I think I think that you know there's been a lot of focus about these people working in these plants okay they work in the plants but they're together a lot of other places too and so I don't think it's real clear where the transmission has happened. Um, the, you know The issue is you know, I think the employers have to do everything they can to make sure the transmission in there. that doesn't mean they're going to stop it. And so the testing part of this uh, this regime, I think is going to be a really long term
1: important thing on keeping the plants running. We seem to hear more about beef shortages in stores or restaurants like a Wendy's or something like that. What's what's happening on the pork side as far as availability of pork in, to consumers?
2: Well, pork availability is down about 40%, the same as what our slaughter would be down. Now, we're talking 40% of capacity. We would not have been at capacity, uh, so probably less than that, 25, 25 to 30% lower, uh, something of that nature uh, as far as output goes. Uh, exports are still strong. I mean, uh, we have export customers that come in and uh, they buy U.S. product at the market price, and uh, we think that those are still remaining quite strong. And so that reduces the effective supply here in the United States. Now, we don't get as quite as as obvious of exposure as Wendy's not having hamburgers, okay, uh, for example. Uh, but certainly there are places in the United States where you're, it's going to be hard to find fresh pork. Um, and and it really depends on who the retailer is and who is their primary supplier of fresh pork. In some cases, uh, some of our companies really haven't had a problem with the uh, pork supply. They've been operating okay. Uh, in others, they've had serious disruptions, and so their customers aren't getting very much. And uh, we saw some announcements this week uh, from Kroger and a few others that they're going to put some allocation on customers and limit the amount of the, the number of items that someone can purchase. Um, you know, so, so there's going to be places where you can't find fresh pork here in the short run. Uh, if we get these plants back up and going, we should start alleviating some of that pretty quickly.
1: I want to go to something that you said that some people may be wondering about. That is, exports are still going. We're able to ship product to other countries, and that's uh, good news. But people are probably wondering, now, wait a minute, why can we get pork to somebody in another part of the world if we're having trouble getting it to somebody here in the United States?
2: Well, and that's a good question. I mean, they're, they're, that that seems a little incongruous. Number one is, there's some of those those export shipments were already agreed upon, and I mean they were deals that were done, and and so you got to stay in there, Mike. Some of us remember back in 1979 and '80 when President Carter slapped a grain embargo mm-hmm. on the Russians because of their invasion of Afghanistan, and how it killed our exports of, um, of agricultural products for several years because we were looked at as an un, un, uh, uh, an undependable supplier. Now, that was a political decision. Uh, in this case, though, if we make a political decision based on this, uh, you know, we have to, uh, there will be a long term after this. I understand the short term is right in front of us, but there will be a long term and we have to consider uh, the decisions we make today in both a long term and short term context. So, um, I would argue that uh, let's let the market decide this and try to get our plants back up and running and rectify this situation. I don't think it's going to – it's not going to be an issue of people starving to death, okay? Uh, that's not going to be the case, and it's not even going to be an issue of people being hungry. As uh, Dr. Jason Luska, Purdue pointed out last week, he said, it probably just means you might not be able to buy exactly what you want for a little while. And uh, we're not used to that in the United States, but uh, perhaps it's not too bad at lesson to learn.
1: Real quick, what about the price for consumers when they can get pork, and what producers are getting?
2: Well, uh, producers uh, the producers that are selling on the spot market are getting a very low price, somewhere in the forty forty five dollar range on a per hundred weight basis. Uh, if their prices are tied to the cutout value, they're doing much better as the cutout's over hundred dollars. And there's some of both of those out there uh, on the on the retail level. We we don't have very good real time data on retail prices. I will say this. I think retailers uh, will toe the line and not not jump these prices very much, at least in the short run, especially when they see that supplies are coming back. we got to prove that that's the case. They don't like changing prices. And I don't think they've changed retail prices much from big demand back in March when people kind of made a run on the stores until big supplies. And so, But I, I do think we'll see retail prices climb a bit. I don't expect to see them go up dramatically here because – the supply situation is going to get solved uh, at some point down
1: the line. Steve, always appreciate your insight. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Good day. Steve Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates, joining us here on AOA.
2: Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices. But they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now, back to Mike Adams. The Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer has hit a three-year low. Here with the numbers is Michael Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. Michael, thank you for joining us. I guess uh, we're not yeah, surprised good. by this, given what's going on. I, COVID-19 related, I suppose?
3: Definitely, and oh, what a difference two two months makes. Back in January and February, when we discussed the barometer, we were at all-time highs at 167, 168. Now in April, we're at 96, which is is the lowest it's been since before the 2016 election, and and a lot of a lot of this is due, of course, to COVID-19 and low prices, which are resulting from COVID-19.
1: Yeah, we're seeing, of course, the the backup in the supply chain really hitting the, the meat sector, the livestock industry hard. We're seeing low commodity prices. So uh, it's really, it feels like this is just showing that it's really sinking in. And of course, this was for April, and it looks like May is going to be more of the same.
3: Yes, I, I think so. Uh, and this is, you know as you indicated, this is very widespread. You know, sometimes you know, during the life of this barometer, we've had a, a, an enterprise or two who had low prices. We're, we're across the board. Uh, when you look at the major enterprises that are that are involved in, in this survey, corn, soybeans, uh, swine and, and swine prices and beef prices, all of those are down, and, and, and uh, two or three of those are down sharply.
1: So sometimes we look at these numbers and we see, while the current situation does not look real bright, Farmers are seeing, uh, are more optimistic about the future. What what are we seeing now and how they are looking ahead as we go through this crisis?
3: That's definitely still the case. The index of current conditions is about 72, which is a record low. We've been doing this since late 2015, so that's saying quite a bit. Uh, There's been some pretty rough months uh, since the end of 2015. But the index of future expectations, even though it's dropped uh, quite a bit, in the last couple of months, it, it's still stronger than the index of current conditions. And, and so I really think that, that, that uh, uh, farmers are still a, a lot more optimistic long-term than they are short-term. And, and one of the ways we can gauge that is looking at the, a couple of questions related to land values. Uh, when we ask people uh, about land values in the next 12 months, a full third think that land, price, land values or land prices are going to be lower in the next 12 months. That's the highest it's been for quite some time. You uh, contrast that with a question related to land values in the next five years. That's just exactly the opposite. There, over 40% of the uh, those surveyed indicated they think land values are going to be higher uh, five years from now. And so, you know, definitely a lot of pessimism in 2020. That's probably going to, uh, you know, you know, uh, probably also going to be uh, the case with with the start of 2021. Uh, but looking ahead, producers are still are still uh, optimistic or somewhat optimistic long term.
1: We're talking with the Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langemeyer. Let's look at some of the other specific questions you asked, such as how worried they were or uh, how could, what were the, what their biggest concerns were for their farming operation. What what were some of those results?
3: Yeah, first of all, when you look at when you ask people about farm financial performance this year compared to last year. Uh, 55% uh, thought it was going to be worse this year than last year. I actually thought that would be higher, uh, but that, that's the highest it's been for, for 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 the life of this question, which is, goes back a couple years. Uh, we also asked a question about the impact of COVID-19 on farm profitability, and two-thirds were fairly or very worried, and so an uh, overwhelming majority are, are very worried about farm profitability. That's consistent with lower farm financial performance. And, and we asked the question, Um, that that was new to this month's survey uh, about what was their number one concern regarding COVID-19. So they kind of drilled down a little bit on on what they think the big issues here in production agriculture uh, related to COVID-19, and two things really rose to the surface. One of those is market access. Obviously, livestock producers, that's a huge concern, but I think that's also uh, reflective of the fact of, of what's going on in the ethanol industry. And we've got ethanol plants are either closed or are operating at, at reduced uh, levels uh, compared to what they were three four months ago, and and so market access is a is a huge issue on people's mind. The other one was financial. As you'd expect, uh, they think this is going to have a, a, a large financial impact this year, and we didn't really we didn't really indicate uh, uh, you know. Uh, Frame that question. Uh, looking at just this year, we just kind of looked at it in general, but uh, but but uh, over a third thought the financial uh, was the number one concern related to COVID-19.
1: Yeah, let's break that down a little bit. Uh, what you were just describing, we'll start with the meat sector, the livestock sector. A lot of times we we are focused on 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 the demand side of it. Well, here we have demand, but we just can't get the supply to people to meet the demand.
3: Yeah, this is just a very challenging situation, as you know, and and, and the, the production is out there. Uh, you know, it, once we get these once we get these packing plants going again, they're closer to full capacity. You know, the, the supplies are out there. We just have to get them through the processing and, and to the consumer. And uh, uh, this is this is worrisome to say the least.
1: Then on the ethanol side, here's the concern: we have the supply, but very little demand, as no one's driving very much right now.
3: Yeah, I think that's picked up a little bit. Uh, I've, I've seen some information recently that, that, that that's picked up a little bit, but we're nowhere near what we were, you know, even three, four months ago. And so hopefully hopefully the, the ethanol industry will that will pick up again uh, later in the year. Uh, but but it, it's hard to tell because, as you indicated, people just aren't driving as much. And, and if you think about people taking vacations, are they going to be willing to take vacations even if, we, even, if we, uh, uh, even if we open up the economy a bit? I don't know. I think people are going to be pretty worried and, and and going to stay close to home, and so and so that's going to be a lingering lingering concern.
1: Maybe so, too soon to tell on this one, but I remember last year we talked about the the impact the MFP payments had. It 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 kind of boosted not only incomes but attitudes uh, to get farmers through those times tough times last year. Now we're looking at different types of assistance programs coming from the federal government that are just really kind of starting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much that actually helps in the, obviously it's going to help some, but how much it will help not only financially but in, in attitudes.
3: Yes, that will be very interesting to watch. And we did have a general question related uh, to whether people were going to participate in, in federal programs. And this is not the MFP Type payment. This is the PPP and other programs like that. And half the half the people surveyed said they were going to indi- they were going to participate in those kinds of programs. But as we get more information on what the the MFP type payments are going, are going to be, uh, what form those are going to take, we'll ask questions related to that. But I but you're right. I think that will that will improve attitudes. It's not going to completely make up for uh, for the for the drop in prices, but it certainly will help
1: also as we look at coming out of this it's it's going to differ i guess kind of where you are because of the different stages of reopening the economy from different parts of the country yeah definitely
3: that's definitely going to be the case and that that's something that it's hard to get a handle on but you, you you've hit the nail on the head there it's, it, it is going to vary depending on where you're at
1: i think it's going to be interesting too michael i keep wondering how things are going to be different after this. What's, what's going to significantly change? And it would seem, and this was a movement that already had started, but I would think will be uh, growing moving forward, and that is that direct marketing to consumers, that producer-to-consumer direct marketing, which uh, right now seems to be uh, booming if, if you can make that connection.
3: Yes, I, I think that, you know, so that's, that's, a, that's a fairly small part of the, the total industry. But I think that will continue to grow, just like organic production continues to grow at least slowly. Uh, you know, some of those, some of those uh, segments of, of the industry will, will grow. And I, and I think now that you've, you've got more people buying meat from, from a locker, uh, you know, directly from producers, once they start doing that, perhaps they'll continue to do that. Uh, but that, that's still going to be, my, in my guess, a fairly small part of the industry, but an important part to those that participate in that.
1: Yeah, you're right. As we've talked with people in the, in the, uh, in that business, um, and they're at capacity or beyond right now, so they can only grow so much. So, uh, it reminds us again of the system we had in place was fine, when, you know, when it was working. Uh, but now, when there's this problem, uh, you know, it's we're finding it's not as flexible as we would like it to be, and it's going to be a challenge for it to change. All right. Well, yeah. Michael, thanks a lot. It'll be interesting to see what You're next welcome. month's numbers have have to tell us because uh, it looks like we're we'll going to be talking about a lot of the same issues a month from now. Probably. All right. Thank Thank you, and take care. Stay safe. Thank you. Michael right. Langemeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Again, the uh, producer sentiment dropping to a three-year low in April. Well, up next, we'll talk more markets with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Rabo Finance planting off to a good start, although there's some cool and wet weather concerns for emerging plants right now. What about the markets as we continue to deal with COVID-19? That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
0: This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture
1: now back to Mike Adams and we're joined now by Steve Nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst with rabo agrofinance Steve thanks for joining us hope you're well
4: I am good morning Mike uh, we're all doing well I hope the same for you as well
1: yes indeed let's let's start on the um, planting side the numbers are good yeah. way up especially over last year of course um now maybe some concerns with cool wet weather on some of these plants that are emerging but overall pretty good start on that side
4: yeah absolutely and i think you know that's if there's a good news story and they're hard to find these days i think that's one of them you know farmers have gotten in you know very quickly and gotten planning done and you know we see it right across the heart of the corn belt um, Eastern Corn Belt behind is is not atypical, and so I'm not real concerned about that at this point. Um, but you look at Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, even parts of Minnesota have really moved fast. And I think from a corn perspective, and and also from beans, because beans have moved up fast as well. Um, that kind of you know, and this is kind of the, this is the other half of this of this hand is that um, you know early start, good start. Uh, does give you concern about the size of this crop could be huge. Um, you know, it's way too early to put pin that number, put a yield on corn or soybeans at this point, but, you know, we know from past experiences that tend to be, that, you know, crops that get in early tend to be, you know, bin busters, and that's probably really the last thing we need right now concerning what we're facing right now in the markets and what we're looking at. Um, you know, there is a little concern. It is May 6th, I guess, I guess sink of the was yesterday. We are going to face a little, a little cooler, uh, a little wetter pattern here over the next several days. But I don't think it's it's not kind of laid in like it was last year. So I believe as we get into next week, farmers will get back in the fields and and get you know get in some cases you know get wrapped up. So we've already heard some some farmers that we've been in touch with you know they're done and they're moving on to already think about you know when when is spring going to happen. So it's moved along very quickly today.
1: So when traders look at those planting numbers being as good as they are, don't the market just start assuming already a big crop?
4: Yeah, that's exactly my fear, um, and that's and you can see now you look at December corn, and we'll focus on December corn because that's what we're looking at first. You know, December corn has you know put in a contract bottom. Probably now it's been about three weeks ago. It seems like it was just yesterday, but time it seems sort of you know, warped here. Uh, we've put in that low and it and these corn has not really done much more than that. It's kind of gone in a sideways pattern and surprisingly the trade has not taken it lower um, but that is my concern and and the same thing with D, with November beans you know, we put in low about two to three weeks ago and we've kind of picked you know we've gone back up but we've been trading a sideways pattern now for about two weeks and the trade is going to start to think after we get through planning and start to look at you know they'll look at that, Memorial Day period and look forward and go. Okay, what does the weather look like? And if it looks good, then we will start to go down. And that's that is my fear is that they're already prepared for what you just which you just assumed in your question is that big crop will then take markets lower than they are already.
1: Not what the farmers are wanting to hear, especially as they're already dealing no. with low prices. Uh, yep. From a trade standpoint, of course, a lot of focus, again, on China and what they have bought, yeah. what will they buy, especially with increased, uh, you know, tensions and the rhetoric back and forth over COVID-19.
4: Yeah, it, it's this yin and yang that's, you know, I, I'll just say is sort of frustrating. Um, you look at what, you know, China needs food. There's no question about that. Um, so we'll lay that off the table they are price buyers and as we've well seen over the last couple of weeks really the last two or three weeks you know they've bought corn they've bought wheat they've bought soybeans they've still bought a little bit you know they they've they've been very good at buying the bottoms and taking those in and so i think they'll continue to be price buyers and they will do that but on the other hand we've seen the sabers you know the president has you know rattled the sabers again saying you know if you don't do this, this, and this, and we're going to punish you for what you did, or whatever rhetoric you want to quote, um, you get this the yang side. And, and that doesn't, to me, does not help trade relations at all. Um, I think both countries, when you look at people in the trade, whether it's grain trade or whether it's business to business, or you know, want to get along, want to have a relationship, um, I think it's, you know, it's a little bit of a relationship that's always going to be fraught with, with distrust and some intrepidation or some concern, and I think that's valid. But at the same time, they are willing buyers, and they will be big buyers. And so I, you know, we need to try to forge a relationship that we can all live with um, that may be uncomfortable at times but can work forward. And I, you know the markets are also sensing that as well. I, you know When you look at these trades or sales that have come through, the markets haven't jumped up and go, oh, boy, here we go. You know, they've been mm. fairly subdued. And so that's, I think, a combination of, one, as your question is, the concern over with that relationship with China, and, two, where what's the crop coming out, what's the crop that's coming could be big, and that could be – we don't. there's no reason to pay up for it. So,
1: yeah, when we get the story of a – Go ahead. When we get a story of a sale to China, it seems like it's greeted with a yawn yep. by the market. So that kind of goes back to what you were just saying. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agrofinance. Steve, of course, this is South America's uh, time uh, to kind of dominate yep. the the selling place. Uh, what's their situation crop-wise, and uh, how are their sales going?
4: Yeah, there. everything we hear is that things are going okay. Um, and I say okay because I think there's a lot of concern growing within uh, particularly, and I'm going to focus on Brazil, um, but I see Argentina, a quick story this morning, some, um, I just caught the headline uh, about uh, biodiesel exports out of Argentina are being stopped. Um, but, you know, they're moving their crop through, it's getting out the ports, and, and that's, you know, there's nothing there that's probably that's concerning um, from a standpoint of, of movement of trade going forward. Now, of course, if that stops, that's better for us, but at the same time, uh, we don't see anything there. I think the the bigger concern in Brazil, and we've had this conversation uh, with um, our colleagues in Brazil, and we're going to have some more before the week's out, um, is that Brazil, you know, the COVID-19 is starting to take a hold more in Brazil. You know, what does that do to their infrastructure? You know, my, my perception is the ports have been pretty proactive about making sure they can stay open, making sure that workers are safe, and that means from management to labor and labor to management. But when you get, you know, think about the fact that they have to transport those soybeans quite a long distance, and Santos, the port um, in southern Brazil, Sao Paulo State, is 60%, much like our Gulf, 60% goes out of that Gulf, out of that. And so if you're transporting by that and truckers, are they safe? And what happens if they, if they get disease, if they get the infection of that? So there's a concern about that. There's a lot of people talking about the fact is that the northern ports, there's more going out of there. There's less people there and less risk for infection. But I think it's something we have to pay attention to and be conscious of. Uh, I think we've dodged quite a few bullets here that way and, and been, and I'll just say, knock on wood, lucky. Uh, but, you know, Brazil doesn't, you know, it's a different infrastructure there than we have here. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's just different. And so I think that's my big concern is as we go through this time period where they, you know, it's their time to export. Uh, does COVID slow that process down and make it more inefficient or just less timely? And I think that's something to watch. The markets have not reacted to that. We look at soybean basis levels have been relatively flat. But we do see corn basis levels come up a little bit, but I think that's more dealing with trying to get corn out of the country. So,
1: and finally, Steve, as we look at our corn yes. price right now, how much does yeah. it reflect what's happened to the ethanol industry?
4: Yeah, it does a lot. Um, we've seen it both in futures and basis. I think there's no question that the futures market has, you know, come down uh, because of oil, because crude oil has been so cheap. Crude oils come back, and we've seen corn basically stabilize. And so let's let's just take that as a good thing. Um, I think when we look at the basis, that's where we've really gotten hit. When you look at what's happened, and I'm going to focus on northwest Iowa. We've seen basis levels come down 30 to 45 cents a bushel. They have come back a little bit, but they're starting to, you know, and part of the move is from the the from the May to the July contract, but we've seen those basis levels stay consistently. Just to give you an example, Fort Dodge is running running probably 35 to 40 under right now. You know, that is about a 40 to 50% drop in where that basis level was before COVID-19 and gasoline consumption. So the markets have truly reflected that. It really reflected that loss of ethanol demand. So that's probably not going to change anytime soon. I think the good news is we've seen gasoline supply to the market go up the last three weeks. Not much, but it has come up off the bottom. And so as we look down the road in a couple months, as we see maybe a little more people get out and a little more gasoline consumption, we can see ethanol consumption come up a little bit as well. And I think that's that's the hope, to be
1: honest. Yeah, that's really the key, uh, get people back out Absolutely. moving again.
4: That's right. And and the key for a lot of things move. right now. Yeah, we need a lot of things right now. And, I, and, I, and I, always, I always say this, you know, I'm an economist, and I do want the economy to get back in function because people need to go back to work and pay their bills and pay their rents and their mortgage. But at the same time, we need to be conscious of the public health and public safety, and I think if we can get that right, then the economy will come right along behind it and people will feel safe to go out. And do what they've been, what they've done in the past, and I think that's the big thing right. we
1: have to focus on. So, all right, yeah, got to be able to do both. Yeah, be able to open up and do it safely. Steve, thanks a lot. Exactly. Take care. We'll talk Thank again. You, Thank Good to you. Talk to you too.
4: Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. Bye bye.
1: Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. All right, up next, uh, another planting update as we continue to check with farmers around the country. This time we'll go to eastern Kansas, check in with Ken McCauley, see how much they have done there and uh, how things are looking here early on in the season. That's coming up next. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture produced by the American Ag Network. For farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams we continue to monitor planting 2020 today we go to eastern kansas we're joined by ken mccauley ken good to talk with you again how are you
0: i'm doing good mike good to be good to be here and uh, talking to you
1: i i've i'm about to say are you done with planting because you're always so far ahead so i'm assuming you're about done
0: well we're done with the corn and we've got a couple days start on the soybeans but uh we're not blading the pack this year that uh there's several guys that are are probably going to finish with soybeans here in the next few days and but uh we took it easy on the corn it was kind of cold and wet and stuff but the corn looks really really good i'd say we're on a on a fast start to uh, needing another rain someday but boy the stands look good and the weed control looks really good but but the soybeans are going in good, too. I I don't think there's very much corn left to plant around here.
1: So your conditions are good. I know some other areas uh, here in Illinois and some other places where we have a lot planted, uh, concerns about the, the cool, wet weather we're getting. Uh, what are your conditions right now?
0: Oh, they're just about perfect, Mike. We had a few some acres of corn had, had a little crust on it. It was kind of hard, but we had a... Uh, oh three or four tents uh in some places and that softened things up and it just looks like every kernel grew and, and i mean it, it's just a really good looking stand so uh but east of us is like you said uh, across missouri they got more rain and we missed that big four inch rain or more that that you got uh about a week or so ago and we were really lucky for that because our soil was worked so good and the ditches we had everything smoothed up and it would have really washed if we would got that rain you got
1: so we know you're in the garden spot once again this year so <laughs> let's compared to last year uh whether it's your farm or or some that you know of around you uh are you seeing any acres that did not get planted last year being brought back into production this year and if so how are they looking
0: well, you know, we're right on the bluffs here, the Missouri River, and and that's getting planted. Uh, the poor is actually doing probably as good a job as they've done in quite a while of keeping the river at the level that you can get some of this stuff done. But yesterday, when that hard fifty mile an hour north wind hit, uh, all those bottoms in this across from us were just blowing sand like crazy. It was you couldn't hardly see in places over there. So, you know, that it's a two-edged sword it it dried out and the sand's blowing and but as far as here uh, anything that didn't get planted last year like wet spots they're all we're getting all those in and and they look really good so we're much improved from a year ago
1: have you had any problems this spring in in getting the inputs you needed
0: no none at all i haven't heard of anybody that has really Uh, figured if if things got delayed and which they haven't Uh, That would be the time when we'd hear when everybody was hitting it all at the same time. But it's it's uh, really good shape on that. I haven't heard anybody talking about uh, that they couldn't get anything.
1: We're talking with Ken McCauley. He farms in eastern Kansas. Ken, I know you're you're very uh, involved with and supportive of the ethanol industry. And when you see what's happened there and the impact it's having on the a rural economy, on grain prices, on markets. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing there?
0: Well, it's just a disaster hitting at the time when people aren't moving and driving. Uh, if if uh, this price war that, that the OPEC's having and uh, all the low prices, if we were driving, everybody would be able to take advantage and uh, use a lot more gasoline driving. I know they would be. And that's affecting the de- ethanol industry, the, the corn, corn price. Uh, you name it. It's uh, you know there's less animals uh, eating, and it's just a wreck. Uh, the the whole thing is really causing problems, and you know the <laughs> not being able to take advantage of of cheap gasoline, and not being able to drive across the country. I, I think that's a huge having a huge effect on the ethanol business, and. But on the other side of it is, I, I think the plants have toned down and you know scaled back their production, and when people do start to drive, hopefully that's really soon, that they're going to start using more, and that might perk up everything and and you know create some more demand for corn. Raise the what price. Are you,
1: yeah. What are you, hopefully what are you hearing from farmers uh, as they're dealing with the uh, the impact of COVID-19 on on all of agriculture?
0: Well, it's it. You really have to feel, you know. Last year we had to had to really think and, and pray for the guys that got flooded down. Well, this year we need to really, really think hard and and give all of Egret, all of the livestock industry our support because you put all your time and effort and money into raising livestock and then to have them not be able to have a place to go to get processed, it, it's just a it's a terrible thing. But you know, it, it's it's something that we just have to deal with. But you know, to have to euthanize a whole pen or or more of uh, hogs or cattle that you've raised, it, it's, it just really tears at you. I I just feel for these people. And, you know, the other side of it is it puts a black eye on the farmer because people don't understand that it's not our fault. And that it's just a, you know, it's a weak link right now that, that really needs to be fixed.
1: Yeah, people really having a – maybe they're starting to learn why we can have – plenty of food available supplies of it but can't they can't get it uh, at their local grocery store i think maybe we're, they're all learning more about the supply chain
0: well i think it's really the there's a bright side to it that i think people are realizing that that agriculture is pretty important and it doesn't just come from the truck driving in there's been a lot of enough enough emphasis put on it through the media that you know farmers are looking like we're pretty important right now that hope people remember it because it's not just corporate agriculture here it's it's farmers and starts at the ground up and the the livestock facility and it's it's not just the fact that it's large large farmers large feedlots being affected it goes right down to the ground floor here
1: that's right ken good to talk with you again glad that uh, things are off to a good start uh, with your your planting and crop season for this year stay safe stay well and we'll stay in touch thank you Thanks, Mike. Ken McCauley Farms in eastern Kansas. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone. You're listening to AOA.